Welcome back to Talking Acoustics. In one of my early interviews with Gillian Lee, uh, I asked her who else I should interview for the podcast, and she told me I should speak to Joss Mulder. Uh, I hadn't heard of Joss, um, but I knew he was based in Perth, and I was in Perth last week, so I looked him up. Um, I got to have a chat with him. He's a lecturer in sound at Murdoch University. One of Joss's first jobs was getting great amplified sound in the Royal Concertgebouw in Amsterdam, which is renowned as one of the great acoustic halls in the world, um, but not great for amplified music. As well as lecturing in sound, uh, Joss also composes experimental music, uh, and he's also working with a group to preserve the hearing of musicians and of concertgoers. Um, We talk all about all of these things uh, in our conversation, so I hope you enjoy. So, Joss Mulder, thanks for um, joining me today. Um, Can you explain first up what your what you do for a living, what your role is? Absolutely, I am a a university lecturer at Murdoch University in Perth. in the in the school of arts as part of a media faculty so we have a, a bachelor of creative media and um as part of it we offer sound in its absolute broadest you can do a major in sound and that is closely related to sound in film sound in games uh tiny little bit product sound design um radio we, st- we used to have a, an actual major in radio but Oh, that's recently been um, debanded to a minor. Uh, but we do have a few radio students who who then often take a broader interest. Um, how do you use sound to make meaning? How is sound used to to uh, to convey emotion? What what mm-hmm. are good sound design? What sound design mm-hmm. works? What doesn't work? And and then you know, it's it's sort of fifty percent critical, analytical, theoretical. The other hand is just getting your hands dirty in the studio. We do a bit of music recording, a bit of programming, computers, a bit of synthesis, a bit of, a bit of everything. It's very, um, very non-physical. We don't teach any of the physics of sound, mm-hmm. non, none of the, uh, uh, no math. So it's, from that perspective, it's very applied. We, yeah. we, create, we create users that are very well informed and they use existing software tools and existing well, hardware mm-hmm. tools for as, far as, as far as they still exist. So in terms of creating soundscape, um, that you, you're teaching that from both a creation, a content creation perspective, all the way through to the physically how you manipulate that in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So 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 content and and then sort of going to to sort of what's called sound studies and mm-hmm. Maurice Shaver and and ecoacoustics and 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 uh, all those different perspectives on on the world of sounds. Uh, and and usually connected to how then how do you go about making this and, and and what sort of sounds do you use and where do you get those sounds from? And yeah. So so how uh, how did you end up here in that role? Did you um, go to school and decide this was what you wanted to do? Or? Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I didn't know that people did things that I'm doing now, but yeah. but I did. Um, I was a very typical high school dropout. Although I did finish high school, 
and my mom actually enrolled me in a Tomeister course at the conservatory in The Hague in the Netherlands, um, where you, so I studied both physics and music, um, and, um, um, because I was a reasonable accomplished pianist, I could get into the program on an audition playing piano, playing jazz piano. And I, from day one, I loved it. We were, um, in, in sort of small classes, eight to 10 people. Um, we had recording studios to, available to us from year two, but we also had music tuition, a really good music tuition, um, and endless supply of musicians to record because we were in the school of music. Um, so it was, um, it was, it was very social. It was, it was great real world learning with, we, uh, we had, um, access to great uh, acoustics teaching. We, we, mm. we had some, some uh, units in, in Delft where they've got a great acoustics facility. Um, and from there, um, I actually dropped out again. As these things go, when I was in year three, um, I, someone asked me to do a little um, professional placement with, uh, with a theater tour. And uh, so I went along a few weeks and I thought, oh, this is what I want to do. So the next year I, I signed up <laughs> going on tour with these people for another five <laughs> years. And I actually never finished my, that undergrad degree, <laughs> even though I worked very, very hard for it. Yeah. Um, and so I, and that also meant that I segued into, rather than being a recording engineer, I segued into becoming a life sound engineer. Yeah. And because I had that musical background, particularly the classical background as well, um, allowed me to work with orchestras and working contemporary music. So I was all of a sudden working with Stockhausen and, and Steve Reich. And, wow. and the Amsterdam in the Netherlands is, is, there's always a lot of that sort of the contemporary art, contemporary music. So in summer, there would always be a concert with Reich or with Stockhausen. And, mm. and so I, uh, from, you know, this is simply unloading trucks to being at the desk with Reich or with, with Stockhausen, been a really, uh, yeah, already very different to what I envisioned do it, yeah. doing when I, when I started. And, and um, so, so that would sort of be my life. I, in, in, in the season, I would tour with the theater production, usually musicals. And uh, musicals, uh, as you're aware, like every artist sits around a little radio mic. Mm -hmm. So in the past, before we had automated mixes, you would just have a very big mixing desk. And you would mix everything by hand. Mm. It's very, 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 very hard. Yeah. Um, but in the end, it makes you a very versatile and very proficient mixer. Yeah. Very efficient mixer. So I did my, uh, I did one tour of 238 shows of musical Annie, wow. which probably still resonates in my brain. Probably <laughs> kind of, kind of yeah, reduce so. my, <laughs> reduce my life by 10 years. Um, and, um, but then in, in the summer we would, I would do system engineering for festivals and particularly I did a lot of concerts in the in Amsterdam Concertgebouw, mm -hmm. which is very famous for its excellent acoustics for orchestras and very suboptimal acoustics for amplified music. And of course, um, like every classical concert hall in the world, they start to branch out into, um, mis misnamed world music and jazz and then the occasional rock band and yeah. It would, without fault, turn into a sonic disaster. And in, for a long time, the solution was to just get a different sound engineer with different or better or more expensive loudspeakers. And um, I got really interested in that problem. I, I had a chance to mess up a good number of concerts there without being replaced by another <laughs> sound engineer. And um, luckily, around 1999, we would, or 2000, we would have our first to line arrays 
and we had uh, VDOS, the early VDOS system, and that helped. Yeah. And at the same time, we, we got better at actually talking to the musicians, helping them turn down the back line, reducing sound levels on stage, um, yeah. putting, by the grace of God, putting some curtains on the mm-hmm. side walls, on the back walls behind the choir. Yeah. And then we would occasionally have uh, better results. And then still, if one of those parameters failed, we would still have really bad concerts and yeah. be very angry director of the concert. Well, <laughs> what have you done wrong? And this is a disaster. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I got really interested in that problem. And um, I, uh, I thought this is, this is where I want to work. This is, this is sort of the, the area that I'm, that I'm most passionate about. So I enrolled in a master's about a decade ago in Utrecht looking at uh, in arts management and administration because I thought I wanted to be an arts manager I want to work at a venue right. and be part of how do you do good programming that avoids these sonic disasters and how can you run a concert hall in a financially uh, res- responsible way uh, without doing <laughs> without hurting its internal acoustics yeah um, which I'm not really sure that's even possible but and um, so that Masters did my internship at the Concertgebouw and wrote a master thesis, um, which started with the question, how did these amplified concerts actually end up in, in this sort of classical environment? Mm. Going back to the 50s when post-World War II, a lot of the, the giant jazz greats from the United States, who had already been replaced by the rock stars, but rock and roll stars, um, did endless tours through Europe and usually playing in Stockholm, in Paris, in mm-hmm. in, in in, uh, in wherever in Germany there was still concert halls standing yep. and in Amsterdam in, in the Concertgebouw and they would there would occasionally be amplification sometimes there wouldn't be um, sometimes they had um, they would hang underlaid loudspeakers on every pillar so the every there's a pillar on the balcony is about every six meters so yep. there would be another sound source without time alignment so oh but they must have been alignment. must have sound amazing oh, sound awesome yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that was uh, there was a system designed by Philips. All, all credit to them. <laughs> so, and I did that research. It was very challenging to find anything because no one really bothered to, no to make any notes. No, no. Not, not documented. Except for the amazing, um, there is, um, if you look at the stage, there is two lodges behind the choir seats. And above the lodges, there are two massive horns that, that, are, that were part of the first sound install that are still part of the emergency paging system. It's amazing. Oh, the the size of my current office. <laughs> it's fantastic. But they would they would also be used for vocal and for 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 uh, um, um, Sarah Vaughan was there and they would have and 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 uh, Ella Fitzgerald they would have used that system. Wow. Those loudspeakers were about twenty meters behind the 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 sound source, you know. And it's just how does that work from a feedback perspective? <laughs> yeah, they would have just. Whatever, everything above or anything below that feedback frequency that we've yeah. cut off. <laughs> so, so, and and the the the, the challenging or the, the the sort of question that arises is there. Um, this is such an iconic space for music performance that if you mm. want to play in Amsterdam as an international artist, you want to perform. If you want to play in Sydney, you want to perform in Sydney Opera. Yeah, it's yeah. that iconicity, and if that means that it's not going to sound as good, maybe that's not so important. Yeah. And and that whole notion of um, it's not just about the sound. It's and yeah. if you go to a pop concert, half yeah. the time you just hear whoever's standing next to you yelling your ear. Yeah. 
and and uh, you know with their with their elbow in your in your nose and and <laughs> what have you. It's it's not just about the music. Yeah, yeah. It's experience. really important. It's yeah. it's the whole experience. experience. And and as you know, as sound engineer, we're very focused on that sound, and and we usually accept no compromise. We want yeah. the best of this, but we can get better at understanding. Um, our role in creating experience, yeah, rather yeah. than you know being the the, the we we are the representatives of the artists on stage, mm. and we are we yeah. don't decide how loud is too loud and how, what sounds good. And yeah, oh, it's a bit more complicated. Yeah, I think we, as acoustic as an acoustic designer, I think we face the same challenge sometimes that we think we think acoustics is the most important thing about a performance space, and actually. Actually, getting, yeah, <laughs> get, getting people in and out that are, that are in a wheelchair, and you know, having enough toilets, and yeah. you know, all these other yeah. things that go into making a great um, entertainment experience, concert yeah. experience for people to go to, yeah. uh, are important too. Um, yeah. it's, it's not it's not just the uh, the metrics that that we put on us. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so do you think with uh, the sort of advent of line arrays and getting some more absorption in some of these older concert halls that are designed to preserve energy, not absorb energy and, and put as much, you know, of, of a singer's or a violin's energy out to the furthest seat, do you think that... that um, line array where you're getting the energy from the speaker system only to the the seats and and not up on the walls and the ceiling and wherever else and getting some more absorption in the spaces are those the sort of keys to getting those spaces to sound it's it's one of the parts it's it's uh it's never no matter how well designed or whether which brand or maybe even if you array is 12 meters long um if you have a guitarist who's going to crank up their amplifier on stage or a drummer with the biggest stick mm. he's got yep. the drum because you know that's just what he's going to do tonight then a, a snare drum in a classical concert hall hit sufficiently hard enough is going to drown out everything yeah even your line array and then yep. it doesn't matter which brand is on that line array mm-hmm. or who who you know which sort of micro precision angle you chose between number three and four it's not going to make any yeah. difference. So like getting yes, stage sound down is, is yeah. St- getting stage sound down, um, getting not hitting the walls. I mean, the, yeah. the walls is what work, and mm-hmm. not hitting the walls is important. But in the concertgebouw, immediately when you have your line array, it with the bigger artists, there is also people sitting on stage. Same in the Sydney Opera House. So you're going to have to have loudspeakers mm. pointing at those people too. Yeah. And then in that case also pointing straight back at the walls around the stage which create those beautiful early reflections that we all want. Yeah. Etc. Yeah. So it's it's uh um so line arrays help um and you know people who can do a proper a proper approximation of how the line array and then actually getting it into um a, a position that approaches that approximation so it doesn't accidentally hit the balcony edges mm. but actually goes over all that sort of yeah. So it, um, more is required from the people who put that sound system yeah. in. And, and then the negotiating phase of uh, who gets to say, who gets to tell the guitarist, even if they're Lou Reed or, um, or we, we, you know, whichever rocket scientist, yeah. to, to turn their amp down. Yeah. Or to maybe, can we put your amp downstairs in the garage? Yeah. And, and, um, and, and um, do that in a 
conflict-free is very hard mm. because the concert day there's never enough time. They're always the band's always going to be late for a sound check. Um, yeah. Everyone's nervous. Um, so if anyone wants to change someone else to change something, you're almost certainly looking at a conflictuous situation. Yeah, and it's all it's always a classic uh, sort of stakeholder issue where you've got musicians that sort of talk one language and. Sound engineers that talk another, and then you know production manager, production people. It's 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 all at um, they all have their own way of talking about things. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's a difficult um, balance to try and communicate amongst all those groups. Yeah, and I so I find yeah so so understanding that and then working to so you know if if a band sends you a writer, a venue always has to come back with a writer that mm. says yeah you can come in with your twelve Marshall stacks. But um, we're going to set a sound limit, mesh it here and there, and and um, and and, you know, and then it just becomes a fight between, you know, whose writer, <laughs> whose writer is is the, the uh, not every venue is prepared to to, um, to 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 put the relation with an artist or an agent at stake by putting all sorts of demands about the sound technology mm. and how it's applied uh, yep. on the on the table. Yep. But that is it, it's. You know, you can see this demands. You can also see, let's have this conversation a few days before the concert, yeah. rather than at five minutes before the audience yeah. comes in. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and, and and that's uh, so. So where I'm going now? Let me just quickly fill you in what happened in between. Um, from that master, I through the working of magic, I ended up doing a PhD in Sydney, looking exactly at that stakeholder problem mm-hmm. or, or that stakeholder. Approach yep. and trying to 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 look at the la- different languages that are used, different parameters that are considered. Yep. Um, and uh, in 2013, I went back to a sort of industry conference in the Netherlands. It was the first time I came across um, uh, in 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 Holland. They have something called the Hearing Covenant, which is a voluntary deal between sort of hearing protection advocacy. And the peak body for festival and, and pop music mm. venues and the sound highest, the bigger, the, 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 the three or four really big sound highest. Okay. To say what we're going to do, we're going to, uh, I mean, and this is not really going to mitigate hearing damage, but what they said, we're going to uh, subscribe to a voluntary maximum of 103 decibel A over 15 minutes. And that was actually the first in, time. In the audience? It, it matched at the mixing desk. At the desk. Okay. At the desk. Yeah. So that could mean if the desk is 50 meters away, that could still be really, really loud. Yeah, yeah. And it's still really, really loud on stage. You know, you, yeah. that, that's a completely different ballgame. Mm. But this was for me the first time that I heard that dosage uh, or, or an LEQ value mm. applied to a music concert. Yep. And they then also had, I, I saw this this software, and there's, there's a few different brands now in the Netherlands. You've got Metrao, and from Denmark, you've got Ten Easy. That creates an interface that tells you. Um, not your sound, you know, tells you your sound level at this very moment, but it tells you how you're tracking towards that 15 minutes dose. Yeah. So you can actually see now that you're going to be too loud in 15 minutes. Yep. So if you want to be still within the sound limit in 15 minutes yep. time, you have to mix it down. Yeah. Um, and what happens then, and this was my realization, you immediately take the conflict out. Because rather than, and, and this happens every night at festivals and music venues, a system engineer yelling at the sound engineer, you have to turn it down. I'm going to turn down the amplifiers. Mm-hmm. System engineer turns down the amplifiers. Sound engineer 
send everything harder into the limiters, and you know, and it's it's a it's a conflict. Yeah. And now you can actually say, oh look, um, you, maybe mix the next song quieter, or maybe you can mix the next song quieter, and then you've got a little bit of headroom left for the big hit that they're going to yeah. play at the end. Yeah. When you need it, and all of a sudden you have a dialogue. Yeah. And you have no conflict. Yeah. And and um, so and this is now um, in the Netherlands, it's it's a voluntary regulation, hundred free. DBA over 15 minutes is still really, really loud. If you can't mm. mix your rock band at that level, then something else is is not going right. And and, and that is aimed at uh, protecting or yeah. mit- mitigating. Yeah, I wouldn't say there is minimizing, but the hearing of the people in the audience. Yeah, yeah. in the Netherlands certainly. Yeah. In uh, in in traditionally, all regulation is informed by environmental. Uh, policies and regulations and that drives how much the neighbors can hear of your concert drives the levels you can you can set and that will be policed but obviously that depends a lot on where the nearest neighbors yeah yeah exactly yeah 10 kilometers away and then if you if 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 the local council gives you a little bit of money to 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 soundproof the doors or soundproof the windows Mm. um the levels outside probably stay the same but levels indoors go up so you win some with your environment, and you protect your action. Yeah. You protect your permit to operate, yeah. but you're still damaging your customers because yeah. and, the, and your bar staff and your bar staff and your and your security and, staff. Yeah. Um, so so um, in the Netherlands, this value is informed by a hearing sort of desire to be more responsible, mm-hmm. and what it it immediately eliminated all the concerts where. You know everything goes wrong, and it and it's just 106 or 107 mm. or 112 yeah. over an hour or over over 50 minutes. Yeah. Then the time frame stops stops mattering yeah. at those yeah. levels. And they, these are for outdoor concerts rather any, than any yeah. any. And what about nightclubs and things like that? Because because the night nightclubs are the loudest things I've ever measured. You know, big concerts. They get loud, but I've never experienced anything like some of the big nightclubs, and that's just horrendous. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I in in night in nightclubs, the whole psychology of of um, if it's louder, will probably send sell more beer, yeah. or if it's louder, people will have more of a good time. Yeah. And there's there's been there's actually been quite a bit of research into that, um, and. Uh, um, in the, the, in, in, I know in, in the Netherlands, the, those, the, the large outdoor dance events subscribe to the same rules, but actually uh, fixed nightclubs with fixed insulation, they simply only subscribe to the, uh, to the environmental legislation. Mm. So, uh, you know, inside of Amsterdam, there will always be, you know, you know unless you build seven big walls. Um, but uh, if, you, if you have a nightclub a little bit out of town, yeah. that's just in an industrial area. Mm. Um, yeah, and th- interestingly, th- the solution in the in a nightclub, you can actually turn down volume. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a band on stage in a small or medium-sized venue, mm. if you want to turn down the volume, you first have to go talk to the guitarist, mm. and then you have to tell the drummer, or, or you have to tell the band to get a drummer who plays less loud. Yeah. Or I, I call this shoot the drummer. That's that's the first thing you need to do, <laughs> which sort of stops having the point of having a band on stage. Yeah, yeah. So... so yeah. Um, um, so yeah, night nightclub is one problem, but at this moment, I'm really interested in that problem with you know having that discussion with the musicians. 
States yeah. who are also blowing their own views yeah. out. Yeah. Um, and there are many things, there, there are many sort of approaches. Um, I am really keen to, uh, with, 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 the, with HearSmart, which is a subsidiary of the, of the hearing CIC in Melbourne, really keen to roll out these, these, uh, these software tools. They're not very mm -hmm. expensive um, that you can train people in three minutes. Yeah. Um, so now we're doing a, a we've just, uh, as you form McGinnity, a PhD student, just uh, roll, roll, uh, finished a, a big measuring project in venues in Melbourne, seven different small, medium-sized venues. We measured using that, 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 that system, that software system, uh, for a month where the operators can't see it, so we just get yeah. the data. And then for a month where the operators can see the interface yeah. and simply see if the interface makes a difference. Mm -hmm. that overall, yeah. does. And um, and 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 I think the next step is going to be trying to roll this out in as many venues as we can. Mm -hmm. And for instance, one thing we would like to talk to to to, to city councils or, 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 or councils about is is if you give venues like every year there's a round where, where venues can apply to get a little bit of money to to better soundproof the venue. Yeah. Um, if you do that, then also say, well, let, let's give you a little bit of a, a measuring tool, yeah. measuring software and measuring mm -hmm. microphone, we'll install it for you. Yeah. And let's then say, okay, well, we've given you money to soundproof, but you're also, you're going to stick to this sort of dosage. Yeah. And that, that doesn't, that is still going to be very far away from the patient self health, patient health and safety yeah. numbers. Yeah. But at least you've got, um, some sort of cap. On some it. sort of cap on it. Mm. If you if if that's if that's a software system, it, it can keep the records. You can keep the records for for a few months, and you can then analyze your data and say, ah, oh, look, we had a, we're actually going really well this week, and then on Sunday we had a night where the levels just went crazy again. What happens? Yeah. You know, was it the band? Did mm. we have a rookie sound engineer, or was the sound engineer drunk? Or yeah. You know, or was the audience just was it the, the greatest hit band in the audience singing yeah. about mm. all night? Get a little bit more information about, rather than just having one person at the mixing desk doing whatever mm. feels good to them. Yep. You know? so, so that organization here is smart, is that right? They, yeah. So they're a Melbourne-based group and they're a they're not-for-profit or have they are academic? So, so yeah, um, academic sort of outreach. Yeah. So, so um, the, 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 the biggest driver is... is uh, Develop and help develop evidence-based policies and evidence-based um, uh, educational packages, mm -hmm. um, and 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 fight some of the heuristics and sort of the traditions that that are around in these uh, in these music venues, yep. where people just been doing what works yep. for a very long time, and there is actually room for change and improvement. And, and, uh, mm. So you're so you're still doing sort of work in that space um, in terms of hearing levels in in venues. What what other um, what other things are you interested in, or are you working on in your current research? Yeah, so so uh, a lot has to do with with those sound levels. So so I'm I'm just running out another trial here in Perth, going to a few venues, doing doing measurements and training people with this with this software. Um, we're running out uh, a sort of online module where people can learn a little bit more about the backgrounds and, and uh, we're, we're talking to peak bodies about certification of sound engineers, yep. see if we can actually say, well, you can be a sound engineer, but then you have to do this little online course so that you know a little bit better how to work with high sound. Okay, yeah. 
Um, which I mean, and that takes that will take a decade. Yeah, that, yeah. it's a lot of lobbying and. and it takes how, a lot. how is the response from the from the venue sides and from the sound engineer side? Uh, venue side is it, generally response is always good. Mm-hmm. Uh, funding is a problem because the, the the arts funding bodies and the venues and the peak bodies will say, "Ah, oh, this is a health problem." And the health funding bodies will say, "Oh, that is actually an arts problem." So, 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 um, uh, we're uh, the traditional problem of inter or multidisciplinary research and, mm-hmm. and advocacy work is is. Um, um, but we're, we're getting there, bits and pieces. No, people are generally on board. Sound engineers are on board, um, and uh, because everyone knows we can do better, yeah, we can find some improvement in this space. Another approach that I'm just. In a third-year undergrad unit we're trialing is uh, um, getting rid, in a traditional sound system, getting rid of the big left and right loudspeaker sticks yeah. and having a much better distributed system um, where a computer, where you sort of, it, I imagine it, or the way I explain it to my students is to have, have a, a normal room acoustics that carries a, a sound source from whatever stage into the mm. room. Emulate that with a much larger number of loudspeakers uh, that in real time um, uh, creates a much more equal sound level across the whole space, rather than just having uh, a lot of sound near the stage and mm-hmm. then tapering off towards the end. Do, do you mean would this system be something like a constellation? Yeah, sort something of sort of, system. Yeah. Where the interesting thing about that sort of system to me is that it doesn't actually amplify. Music in the room; it adds reflection potentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, so is it that sort of approach, or it's something sort of, where you're actually providing amplification yeah. in the room, but at a at a point other than the yeah. stage? Yeah. So, so it's it, the, the constellation and similar systems are really uh, for acoustic sources that are that you're supposed to experience as an acoustic source. Yeah. Whereas here, we're really trying to see: can you do something like that with a band? Yeah. And 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 again, and your challenge will be, you know, that. Also requires the sound on st- sound level and stage to go down. Mm. But but if you don't have big PA stacks left and right of your stage, that already brings the level on the stage down. Mm. So so uh, and and uh, a little bit of work's been done there, and I'm just using some off the shelf tools to to uh, yeah do a little bit of experimenting mm. uh, around that because you know and also you know. Um, our computers are so powerful because they do yeah. so much visual processing. Whereas for sound, in comparison, you need yeah, so 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 little so little resources. Yeah. yeah. So if yeah. and and so at the moment we've got this little program called MN Mountain MNTN running, which is just a, a sort of a, uh, ambisonic special okay. tool yeah. with whatever many loudspeaker channels you you can come up with, and it just Runs as a plugin in a DAW and gets all the signals from a mixing desk. And, yeah. and the like, there's a latency, but that latency is smaller than the normal sort of system time alignment delay you would add mm. in, a, in a real world amplification system. So, so are, you, are you saying, when you say ambisonics, you mean you're creating or, or, no, it's or, not, not me- really yet, or no. measuring a. Um, it's sort of a three D, like a, a spatial yeah it, signal. It, uh, it 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 you you make a map of your of the distances yeah. of your different loudspeakers to one point source yeah and um, uh, it spatializes that 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not really sure what goes under the hood, but you can then also process it as an ambisonics or a B4. Yeah, okay. So it's sort of like an ambisonic that that's then decoded into a, a, a physical yeah. array of loudspeakers where you know where they are. Yeah. yeah. So and how they exactly... Um, because they can, you know, the, the input signal can be anything. So it doesn't have to be an ambisonic signal yep. or, or it doesn't even have to be one mono signal. Yep. And, um, uh, and that software is really, uh, well, it, its main use is allowing you to do Facebook 3D sound or Google 3D yep. sound. Yep. Use, to use those plugins and mm. some binaural experiences. Yeah, we, use, you, we use that same sort of um, technology for our oralization room. Um, Marshall Day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Take an ambisonic signal and you demax it in, into a, an array of speakers. Yeah. 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 It's a really interesting sort of space, I think, with the rise of um, sort of augmented reality and virtual reality and the, the 3D sound space, I think, becomes really important. Yeah. So in this case, I'm using that fancy 3D sound space to do something really old fashioned. Mm. Making a band audible to a whole room. <laughs> it's good. Um, and and the, what I like about it, because like I said, we don't have the, the we're not an engineering faculty, so we don't have the capacity. We don't have uh, students who can write code or can do a little bit Max MSP or so. But, but um, and they're, they're very good in the DAWs and in in the Ableton Live kind of creation softwares. So we just use off the shelf softwares and maybe yep. don't exactly use them what they were designed for. Yeah, but you know, that's. The, <laughs> That's exploring That's spirit, fun bit, isn't it? <laughs> so you, so you mentioned you played piano early on. So what what role has music had in your life and in your career path? Yeah, music is always the driver. Yeah. So so um, I, I, my mum was a music teacher, and uh, and and a very open minded one. So she already exposed me and my brother to, to gauge and, and, and all sorts of art music that generally has no audience whatsoever mm. from a very early age. So that idea that um, no, dripping tap can be music. If you elect a dripping tap to be music, it is music. Yeah. So, so rather than say, no, music is something that happens in a concert hall and is written by mm. an old white bloke with a beard. Yeah. Um, no, it's up to you what, what music mm. is. Mm. And and so that 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 open mindedness has always been my driver, and um, you know I love music and I and I, I love concerts. I love everything. I love the the tension that comes with it, the, the problems that come with it, um, and 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 in a big, I love theatre too. I love the performance arts. Mm. And I love the yeah the vibe that comes with it. Yet here I am. I'm an academic. I sit in an academic office. <laughs> and, uh, so, so that's that's great to say, you know. Um, um, and I do um, sort of as part of my research. I do still. I I, I, uh, I write a little bit of music. Um, so re- I'm, last year I wrote something. Going to change again. This is t- typical academics is being performed at a conference. A work for acoustic ensemble and loudspeaker. And um, the loudspeaker is not there to amplify. It's it's just it's the soloist in mm-hmm. the work, and it simply it, with a microphone it takes the sound of the acoustic ensemble and plays it back uh, five seconds later, uh, sort of five second delay. Yes, yeah. nothing new has been done yeah. all throughout the sixties, but that delay then over five minutes slides down to zero seconds. 
And what happens? Oh, so, right. so the first style of the work, um, the, um, the the delay sounds like an echo, like a very distant echo, yeah, and it's yeah. really there Five is no. Is a long, yeah, it's a, long it's a soundscape yeah. that you create. It's not mm. necessarily musical. Yeah. And then when it comes to around one second, it becomes more musical. It becomes a rhythm. Yeah. And then you can compose around yeah, that yeah. rhythm. It's relative but to your tempo. Then. Relatively yeah. to your tempo, exactly. And then when you get shorter when you get beyond that sort of rhythmic it becomes much more experiential and yeah. and you start to get some facing yeah. and, and some, some some weird fusing mm-hmm. and some weird sonic elements depending on whatever the sound source is until the point where it's sort of in the 20 30 milliseconds when it just becomes amplification mm. and because my question and and you know if anyone has a research methodology to answer this question i'm very welcome I'm mm. very gladly hear it but this is about so what is the difference if you're in a concert hall and someone's playing the violin? What's the difference if you hear that violin directly from the violin or through a loudspeaker three yeah. meters away from it? Mm. What's sort of the fundamental experiential difference? Mm. And um, I'm sure I'm not going to answer that question, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm always interested to see what I come up with poking around in that in that problem space. Yeah. So in your piece, the delay is decreasing at a constant rate. From yeah, in theory, then because then it became really hard to actually make rhythmical elements, so yeah. it actually steps down. Steps, it yeah. Steps okay. down. And then the, there's a written composition for the acoustic performance. Yes. Yeah. 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 That, that yeah, relax. Yeah. And they, this this is for an, uh, a research ensemble here related to WAPA, the the Western Western Australian Academy of Performance Arts. A decibel ensemble, and they work with an iPad-based score player that scrolls along, which really helps with that sort of time alignment mm. and aligning the the, the 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 interface that the musicians use to the technology that you use to create this yeah. this delay. Uh, so where are you where are you performing this? Where's this? Show? This is so. There's a, a conference in December of uh, the West uh, the the what's it the Australian New Zealand Music computing. I don't remember the acronym. <laughs> acronym. They have a conference every year somewhere yeah, okay. in in, uh, in Australia, New Zealand. Um, it's generally computer music, but many people working in that domain seek, you know, to collaborate with acoustic. Mm. Yeah. So no, then I have a paper around. And, you know, and and that's just it's for me it's research, but it's also you know, trying to make a fun piece out yeah. of it that people will actually enjoy yeah. uh, listening to and enjoy playing. Yeah. And 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 um, so last year I wrote that in traditional notation, and it became particularly the last final bit, the the, not, the notation became so dense that it became absolutely unplayable. So now I'm actually going to do a different iteration, same piece, using a graphic graphic score. Right, so much more lines and dots and blocks. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, it'll be completely different, but the, uh, the same hypotheses and the same mm-hmm. principles in the same work. So, last question then: What? I mean, you you're only a, a young guy still. What have you <laughs> What have you got left to do that's of interest to you? What do you What do you want to explore? Yeah, at at, at this moment, I must say I'm really passionate about the sound level. Business, like uh, as uh, when we spoke before, um, musicians in a rock band or in a pop band, they start in those smaller venues. So mm. at the start of their career, they're exposed to 
we measure 112 and mm. EQ on stage easily. Yeah. Yep. And and um, you know that that's that those are your benchmark experiences. And in, and in a small room, with, in a small you know, room. in a in a basement somewhere where yeah. there's nowhere for the sound energy to go, and it just. So I, I, I think we, in addition to you know helping the audience protect the hearing, in in and you know with 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 all those problems, there is no one solution. So people yeah. are going to have to be wearing earplugs. Um, musicians are going to have to be wearing earplugs. But you also you want to prevent the situation where there's a band all wearing earplugs for an audience of one thousand all wearing earplugs. Yeah. Because then you just then something went wrong. Yeah. That's yeah. that's. Uh, um, so I'm very keen to work towards a fix using. Uh, continually improving loudspeaker technology or application mm. uh, using using better specialization parameters to to make the, the sound distribution more even throughout yep. the room, using better tools, better training for evidence based training for sound engineers, some sort of certification for sound. Engineers. So you know that's also that it's sort of the, the cross between research and, and advocacy mm. and, and translation of the research. And I, 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 uh, I foresee I'll be doing that for another ten years at least. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, um, the other thing that sort of unites my masters and my PhD research is is uh, very simply uh, the history of amplified music. Right. So when did people first when first someone came up with the idea like, oh, I'm just going to give you a microphone and a loudspeaker, make you a bit louder. Mm. And um, um, I've, I've done quite a bit of work. In that it's my PhD that I'm very keen to publish as a separate title or a book or a journal article. Mm. And because uh, it doesn't go back that far, um, there's a great interview with, with Rudy Valley, who was one of the first crooners, so one of the people who started singing really quietly. Yeah. Um, and he relates that when they were in the radio studio, um, there would be a microphone. The microphone would be for the radio. And if you wanted to hear... S on the radio, you'd have to go outside the studio, there'd be a radio set and you could listen. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't be any any uh, microphones in the actual, ra- uh, sorry, actually loudspeakers yeah. because of the monitor, feedback. Because yeah. until roughly 1930s, 32, there were no directional microphones. Yeah, right. Certainly not not available to to, yeah. uh, to, to the music industry. Apparently, the, the, uh, the, the German electroacoustics had some sort of Figure of eight microphone in in the twenties, but but Olsen, with his very large, um, uh, PB thirty one, um, was the first figure of eight microphone. And then all of a sudden it became possible. And then in in nineteen thirty one, in New York City, uh, uh, Radio City Music Hall opens with eighty of those microphones and an mm. eighty channel mixing disc, and and uh, and all of a sudden a venue is built uh, as an electroacoustic yeah. venue, and and um, and then from there, uh, yeah, you used to just you know all through the forties and fifties and sixties, little steps in improvement of the gear and in improvement of, of uh, how people use it. Mm. So very keen to, but that yeah, that's that's on the on the slow burner. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, good, good. To get some things still to uh, get yeah, interested. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Josh, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for coming all the way to Perth. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can find out more about Joss and his work uh, at his profile page at uh, Murdoch University, which is uh, murdoch.edu.au. 
and you can find more about HearSmart uh, at hearsmart.org. Um, there's some further links on the episode page at the Talking Acoustics website, talkingacoustics.com. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>